Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello, today I'm here with Josh Plotch. Josh is a serial entrepreneur with both corporate background where he was a manager of some pretty good-sized companies in their HR and uh, understands the HR and actually speaks at HR events, all the way to being a serial entrepreneur where he owns uh, multiple franchises and he's also a business broker. So we're going to interview him today and find out everything we can about what a business broker looks for and what information we can get from him when we're looking to either buy or sell a business. Thanks for being on the show, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ron. Cool. So uh, the first question is always get to know you type of question. So start anywhere you want to start. And I know some people have a a painful childhood or something. So I'm not telling you to start, you know, start. Don't go through anything that's going to make this right. an emotional event or whatever, but just tell us your story. I won't go through my CIA career. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I can leave that out. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I always joke around. I, I usually, I, I didn't warn you ahead of time. I don't talk about anything other than the military. I was military intelligence and I just can't. So uh, <laughs> I, you can ask me questions. We go back and forth on this. There's just certain things I won't talk about. And uh, so there's certain things I won't ask you about personally. But uh, any, anyway, so tell us about like kind of who you are, what you stand for and, you know, something cool to know about you. Yep. So, yeah, as you said, I actually started uh, my career originally not in HR. I was a women's basketball coach in Division One, uh, and pivoted out of that pretty early. That's what my undergrad was in, and that was what I thought I was going to do for a really long time. Uh, pivoted out of that early just listening to a mentor uh, that just said, this is not the life for a family. I was newly married, and, you know, we travel for games half the year. We travel recruiting half the year, and he said, you know what, like, this is not, this is not a family person's career. Um, you know, there's just so much turnover and coaching and all that other stuff. So I pivoted really early on and got into uh, operations and HR and staffing. And I've done a number of things in that space over the years for, you know, from international recruiting, uh, to the recreation space, uh, tribal space, all kinds of stuff, uh, worked for multinationals, a whole bunch of, you know, just a bucket of things. And through that time, like you mentioned, you know, we had a number of different businesses, a number of different franchises, and I really just started to see the, uh, you know, the connection between those and what I was doing and what a lot of the things that, uh, you know, people were using in corporate America on a little bit larger scale where that could really add value in smaller mom and pop operations, you know, both the ones I was doing, the ones that my friends were doing. So we transitioned a couple of years ago, just starting to be able to put some of that knowledge and experience to work and adding some of those things, you know, when you get into uh, value stream mapping and uh, Six Sigma, things like that, applying some of those tools that, you know, used over the years into smaller operations to really help them grow. Sounds really interesting. So uh, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now. We both have backgrounds in uh, real estate and entrepreneur uh, uh, ventures. Uh, I tagged you on one of the big acquisitions I was working on, unfortunately, that, uh, to be on the team and be part of that acquisition because uh, it had 55 employees. And I know enough about HR to get myself in trouble. I could probably fill up a post-it note. 
And uh, <laughs> so you don't do that when you have 55 employees. There's rules and stuff we've got to follow. So, um, there are a couple, yep. Yeah. So I think this is going to be really fun because not only are you a business broker, you're a serial entrepreneurial, and we can actually ask some questions about I'm acquiring a company that's got 55 plus employees. What is there anything else I need to do inside of the due diligence type of questions, right? Yep. <coughs> Sorry. Um, so let's just um, let's just kind of get started here. What interested you in the uh, in like becoming a business broker? You know, uh, what's the what what opened your eyes to that and moved you forward there? Yeah, and I, I think you mentioned it. You know, we we both are active also in the real estate space. So we were meeting a lot of uh, property owners that were also business owners that were looking to transition. And again, it was really just a. Uh, you know, sell to the people that are there getting ready to buy, right? You know, it was just filling a need, you know, that really matched between what we were doing anyway, you know, what I was doing on the side, helping business owners, you know, really just helping provide solutions because, you know, it's somewhat common to see, you know, a property owner, if they have commercial property or, you know, a bunch of apartment buildings, a bunch of multifamilies, you know, a lot of them, are also serial entrepreneurs. They may have a business that they're also looking to exit. You know, they may have a couple different things. So there was really just a synergy there that, you know, we wanted to help uh, just in any way we can, right? You know, if we can help them take care of their property and move on to the next step, if we can help them take care of their business and move on to the next step, you know, we really found that it's a win-win for everybody. It's awesome. So uh, let's kind of walk through the process. A business owner, um, they've been running their business for a while for one reason or another. There's a, there's just, you know, there's many, many reasons why somebody would want to consider a liquidity event, uh, you know, to sell their business and stuff. And, you know, they either get a letter from you or they, they hear about you in some shape or fashion. They Google, you find you online and, uh, or they show up at your office, um, kind of go through the process of what a business broker looks at when looking at businesses that are thinking about selling? Because I think it's probably a little different than what I would look at, um, you know, as, as an acquisitions guy. Yep. And I'll give you kind of the official answer, but then then also give you the side answer. You know, and the official answer is the traditional valuation just looks at your tax returns over the last couple of years. You know, we go through a process that we call addbacks, which are, you know, things that the new owner can expect to have. Uh, you know, if you pay your phone bill or if you pay a car payment or if you, you know, some of those things that are that are uniquely yours, we can add those back because the new owner would also expect to, you know, receive that benefit either through that process or through, you know, just getting the money. Um, and then we, we just mark, you know, we do a market comparison, a market analysis, determine the valuation. And we can see based on those numbers, based on what the market holds as far as what other properties, uh, what other businesses are selling for in that same space, uh, and then determine the valuation. And our, I'm oversimplifying it. You know, our valuation documents are, I think, 37 pages long. So I'm giving you a very, very high level overview. But that's that's really the core. You know, we look at the tax returns. We determine the revenue. Uh, we maximize the revenue for the business owner where we can. And then that's really where, 
Well, let's say the hard work begins. And this is my second answer to you. You know, the hard work begins on the selling side. It's, you know, similar to real estate, right? Everybody can lock up a house and selling it at the right price. That's the challenge, you know, and getting that, that person in place. So the fun thing about business broker, you know, is that there are as many solutions as there are companies, you know, and there may be a business that, uh, you know, is a great opportunity for a roll up, which I know is a space that you're active in. There could be a business that's a great opportunity for, um, you know, an acquisition for another similar company. Like you have a heating and air company. There may be a bigger heating and air company that, you know, wants to absorb that, uh, you know, those clients. Uh, there is just every opportunity you know, there's, there's all types of options, all types of opportunities, you know, once a business owner decides that they want to take that next step. And that's really where the creativity comes in. Um, you know, the work comes in being proactive, you know, and that's really where our work comes in, you know, on these transact on these transactions. Yeah. So in the, uh, so in our world, acquisition mer- mergers world, you know, where we're actually acquiring the, the, the acquiring side, you know, one of our frustrations is, is um, across the board, I'm not saying that your brokerage does this or any particular bro- brokerage does this, but we find that the brokerage's prices or the evaluations tend to be a little high. And here's what I attributed that to. Um, seller, you know, here's a scenario. And I just want to walk through this. And I want your feedback on kind of what you think is going on or how frustrating this is to you also, because I'm sure this will happen to you if it hasn't happened already. Seller comes to business broker one, business broker one does their evaluation and says business is worth, you know, a million dollars. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, well, they said, well, I have an appointment with, you know, business broker two. I'm going to go see business broker two. And he goes, oh, yeah, a million. I can get you a million too, right? And the next thing you know, this thing's, this guy's gone to his third business broker. It's out there listed at 1.4. When honestly, it's probably worth nine hundred and fifty k, right? The, it, even yeah. the the first broker is trying to try to get the most he can, and sure. you know now we've got a seller who has unreasonable expectations at one point four and doesn't understand why you know uh, you know emerges and acquisitions uh, acquisitions guy like myself comes in and goes, you know what, I couldn't give you a dime over nine fifty, right? Right. You know, or we have to get real creative if I do. So, I mean, how does, have you seen any of that going on yet or? Sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges with the industry, right? And, and it's, it's for that exact reason, you know, it, it is on the broker generally to be able to educate the business owner on what the proper price is. And, you know, the proper price is what's going to move the business if they're ready to exit. Um, But like you said, there are certainly brokers out there that will, that will promise things that maybe they shouldn't be, or, you know, not, and I'm, I won't even go negative, right? They could be overly optimistic, right? right. <laughs> on, on their listing price and say, yeah, I can probably get this or, oh, I've seen this. And, you know, I think I can make that happen. Uh, but it, it does create a challenge for the business owner. It creates a challenge for the buyer. You know, it creates, uh, you know, sometimes can create a bad taste in the mouth of that business owner, you know, so really it's up to us as an industry just to, to really make sure we are doing our due diligence and, you know, all the things that many of the other industries go through, right. Our, our training, you know, our network, making sure that we're connecting with, you know, other people in the market, our corporate partners to say, Hey, what is the, 
you know, what is the best and most reasonable price uh, that's going to get the outcome that we want from this, right? And, and you know, listing it for 300000 more, if that means it's going to either never sell, you know, or sit on the market for months and months and months, isn't a great option for anybody, you know? So it, there are people out there that would do that, like I said, but, you know, it is a challenge that the industry has to just stay on top of and have some hard conversations. And I would say that's probably what it comes down to, right? It's, it's a, it's a hard conversation challenge. And some people, you know, are more comfortable with, with having those conversations than others. You know, it's interesting. What it leads to is, you know, uh, in the acquisitions and merger space, I've actually taken on a few different mentors taking courses just because I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistake and pay, you know, pay to learn that way than I would ever to pay to learn from my own mistakes. So, um, and two out of the three mentors I've been through really discourage us to go into anything that's currently listed or anything that's currently listed by our broker, just for that reason right there. Just, well, that reason and and the broker's, um, you know, in my experience and with these guys' experience. They'll kill a deal if there's creative financing on the end because of their risk to the seller. So, um, you know, what's your thought process on, you know, doing something other than an LBO, a leverage buyout, where the seller gets the full check at closing? I look for situations where the best of your ability, you can have honest people sitting down at the table with the best interests in mind, right? So, you know, I think it's good for the sellers or buyers, whatever side you're on, to have someone, you know, that's looking at these things and has some experience in them. Um, you know, I I would be hesitant to do deals in a vacuum um, just because, again, there's things out there maybe you haven't seen, things out there that you haven't experienced. Uh, you know, and I think a broker does provide that for you. You know, I certainly see from the cost perspective that, you know, they're, they may not see as good a value, you know, if, if they have brokers that are trying to get the most money to the seller. Um, you know, I, I think you can have both and still, you know, still win. Certainly brokers bring you, you know, on top of a well-prepared seller and a well-prepared financial statement and a well-prepared company, you know, they also bring you experience and they're going to bring you, you know, additional deals if they go well, um, you know, because we, we see a lot of them come through, you know, I've seen on the flip side too, where, um, you know, I work with people that will buy things that maybe would not be sold traditionally. Right. So, you know, I may see a deal and bring it to a partner and I may look at this deal and say, you know what, this, this probably wouldn't be a great deal for you if we list it traditionally and put it on biz by sell or whatever that is. But, you know, I have a partner who this would be right up their alley, you know, and, and you can win, they can win, you know, and we can all, you know, this can be a, we can stack wins for everybody on this. So, um, you know, that, that feeling doesn't surprise me, but obviously I'm going to come down probably on the other side of the fence from it. And I think there is a lot of value that we can add just by working together. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've noticed, I've interviewed, uh, uh, not on the podcast, but just like talking to business brokers and uh, trying to get some of the bigger business brokerages out there, like the head guys, you know, to come on on the podcast. I talked to one. I won't say their name just because I'm going to say something about them, and I don't want to 
discourage anybody. They have over 200, 250, what they refer to as deal originators. And I was talking to one of their, uh, he's a director of inbound deals or whatever his title is. And uh, so his job is everything, all the, all the leads, all the stuff comes through him. And then he farms that out to, you know, various people. And, you know, he was telling me that they get between 30 and 50, what he calls D, uh, do not qualifies, DNQs uh, a day. And uh, so, you know, we got into a deep conversation. I wish he'd have let me record it. Uh, he has to get corporate okay. compliance to allow him to do that. But as to what a do not qualify is, so, you know, mm-hmm. the question I have for you is, in your world, are there businesses that are going to come through that just, they don't qualify to be listed by, you know, by a broker? What would, what would that criteria look like? Yeah, and and again, I'll talk about kind of the challenge and then more specifics. But you know, the challenge that all business owners have is through the life of your business, you are trying to minimize your tax burden, right? So what that looks like, you know, when you go to exit, you know, is that you have tax returns that show very little revenue, um, and so both those those steps are very valid, um, you know, but our job or the job of somebody in this process, if you're going to exit your business is to dig into this and figure out, you know, what, what stays, what goes right. What does this look like um, when you peel some of those layers away? So to answer your question specifically, you know, what I do not qualify is either going to be someone that shows a very low revenue, you know, that maybe wouldn't make a great deal for a buyer, you know, there wouldn't be any kind of return on their investment, um, you know, or a business that's just very owner focused. That can be really challenging, right? If we, if that owner exits that seat, if it's hard to see a straight line for that business to continue, then that's going to be a really hard sell. So those are, those are some of the other ones. I mean, there's other things in there, like, you know, if you see some certain things in their financials or, you know, obviously if they're running a loss, things like that can make it really challenging to sell. Um, you know, unless again, you're able to add back some of those things, um, and they're verifiable, right? That's the third thing. You know, if we have a business owner that says, you know, I'm showing a loss every year, but I have a cash business and I take out a hundred thousand a week in a paper bag, just trust me. You know, that's, that's going to be, you know, that's an extreme example, right? But that, that's going to oh, be, it, I've heard it. <laughs> right? but that's that's going to be a do not qualify because you can't verify that. And we, we as brokers want to ask anybody. I would not want to represent that. Um, you know, so those things like that are, that are unverifiable, you know, would, would fall into that category. What about a uh, high debt structures? Is there on your evaluation model does somebody say somebody's just kind of overburdened with debt and they're barely uh, maintaining the servicing of their debt? Would that push them out for you? It's going to be a lot tougher, obviously. Um, you know, there are some people that specialize in that space where they can restructure some of that. Um, but it would certainly cut down your pool of buyers. You know, I would say it would more fall into those buyers that specialize in that type of, that type of deal, you know, versus somebody more traditional that may be coming in as an owner operator, um, you know, or looking for an investment. Yeah, I actually had, uh, I, I reached out and started, you know, talking to some people and, and, I have a group of people that can do that restructuring. There's, there's not very many mm-hmm. out there. I've only found no. one so far, but <clears throat> it is possible. Now mm-hmm. they need a, they need a much bigger company than what I was initially targeting. But uh, 
you know, they can, they can do it. So it, that, that is possible. So one mm-hmm. of the other questions I like to ask is like, what do you believe is a common myth about the business brokerage, you know, profession that you just like to debunk, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's out there. People think it, it's not true. And, uh, you'd like to nip it. Yeah. I would say probably the one that you mentioned, you know, that it, that it just, when you're working with the broker, that it's no longer a good value. Um, you know, the opposite of that is true where we have the experience that we can bring ad backs and show value and structure those things so that, you know, some of the things that you may not have already looked at, um, you know, we can highlight some of those areas, both on, again, on the seller and the buyer side, right? So the buyer side, make sure that they're getting as much value as they can. And the buyer side, make sure that we're looking at everything, uh, you know, that we need to be. So it's, you know, our role on the broker side is just to be the partner, um, you know, and make sure that, that everything is getting counted that, you know, that should be, and that we make the deal as good as possible for everyone involved. You know, we, we want our, if I'm representing a seller, you know, I want you or a buyer to be successful as well. You know, it's not, it's not zero sum. It's interesting as I find myself looking at things that I know are outside of what I'm looking for, but, but I also know people that it might work for. I had one this morning. I was talking to a guy who has a mobile tire repair shop. Turns out uh, he came out and replaced some of mine. And I told his employee that, uh, you know, started asking questions about his business and said, you know, I might want to talk to the owner someday. Well, I got contacted by the owner. He's thinking about retiring and selling the trucks and stuff. They actually don't go to your, you know, your place and you can swap your tires right there. Like they did it out in my field at my farm, you know, they literally brought two tires. I had a double blowout and they just brought two new tires out there and, you know, uh, pulled mine off, balanced them right there in his truck and had hydraulic, you know, equipment in the, in the van and just did it right then and there. But uh, I'm not interested in on that. But I know a couple of mobile mechanic shops and stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, I might be able to put something together for those guys and have an add on to their business. And, you know, what we call take a stake. I might, you know, work out something where I end up with 10 or 20 or 25 percent of something because I pulled it together. Um, how creative do you, you know, work like where's the boundaries on like the creativity that we can do deals with a broker like yourself? And, you know, could you know, doing add-ons and there's, you know, people getting pieces of the deal and stuff is, you know, is everything on the table so long as it's all fair to both parties or is there just a structure that you want to like, you know, the, the owners to stick to? It, it varies from state to state. And, you know, just before I get into that, I mean, I, I'll say just personally, right. I like the game. I love entrepreneurship. You know, some of those stories are, you know, why I enjoy this, right. You know, I'll sit across from an, from an owner that starts describing their business and describing the revenue. And, you know, you're just like, wow, that's, that's cool. You know, you're making a great living doing that. I just never would have thought it. And I just, I love hearing those stories just because I'm an entrepreneur at heart and, you know, I, I geek out over those things. And, you know, those are the stories that I just love to dig into, you know, like how, how did you build that? How did you, you know, think of that? How did you get your customers for, you know, as a mobile mechanic, get their customers instead of going to Robertson's or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, 
again, why I'm in it, because I love, I love that stuff. I love those stories. Um, and then to answer your other question, it really varies from uh, state to state. So some of the states are really regulated, you know, similar to real estate agents. Some of them even require the same licensing as agents. So those are going to be, you know, a lot more structured, those states. Um, you know, some of the other ones, it's a lot more flexible, you know, to and. On that, I would say it also just varies on on the broker. You know, some brokers may be more interested in, you know, being more creative. Others, you know, really like the lean um, and stand there as well. You know, it's interesting is uh, I'm fascinated, too. I mean, I have uh, we, we you go out there and you like somebody's doing, doing a business and you think I can't be doing much. And you start looking at their books like, you know, holy cow. Right. I have a, a, a cousin. Uh, if you ever uh, Google him or whatever, he kind of we look a lot alike. We have the beard, we're both big guys, and uh, he owns a uh, a business that sells basically giant ball bearings. <laughs> you know, he actually, uh, you know, he had he actually has two brass uh, or uh, chrome balls tattooed on his leg, you know, on his leg, and you know, he likes to do the joke, you know, he likes to show people his his calf, right? And uh, but. It's their ionized. I know what they use. I guess they use it in like tumblers and stuff to clean other materials. So he sells these things, and it's an industrial product. But you know, I'm thinking you sell steel, steel marble, uh, marbles basically, or you know, ball bearings. And how much money could you make doing that? And we were talking, and he does pretty good business. It's just him. And, you know, <laughs> it is like you know, it's a, it's a, it's. I won't say the numbers because you know we're, we're relatives and stuff. But it was, it was impressive, right? You know, you're thinking, you know. How can you make I'm, a living selling, you know, right. uh, uh, pretty much a one product line too. It's just, you know, they're hardened, uh, ionized or anonized or something like that. Ball bearings is all they really are. So, but yeah, I'm always somebody else doing really well selling uh, spindles, like on your stair railings. They have a whole business selling spindles that you can't find at Lowe's and they're doing great. And, yes, yeah, it it's, it's awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm fascinated by it too. So there are times where I catch myself like I know I'm not going to buy it, but I just I, it's kind of like it's <laughs> right. a deer in the headlights. I just I can't stop listening because I'm like really curious about how they got yeah. there. And mm-hmm. the beauty of it is I'm, I'm also passionate about seeing you know, helping them succeed. So if I take their time listening through the whole process, I try to connect them with somebody that can get them to the next step, either a business broker like yourself or somebody that I know that could. Uh, a lot of those mom and pop shops, like that tire thing, it just isn't. They don't have ten employees. They don't have the revenue. He does, you know, three hundred thousand a year. But by the time you play for insurance and the maintenance and you know his service tech and everything else, you know, it kind of eats that up and buy your tires and everything. But uh, it would be a great add-on to somebody that's already got a mobile mm-hmm. service that's already going out and, and fixing cars or whatever. So I, I know a couple of those mobile mechanics. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in the area of like mergers and acquisitions, let's just jump right back into this. What areas of the site is, there's just so many different things. You can liquidate them by taking them public. We can do the roll-ups like I'm involved in, these international roll-ups and stuff. What areas are interesting to you right now that you're you're learning about and you're look, looking into to growing into? What, what, what has your interest currently? Uh, the two that I focus on mainly, well, probably three. And, you know, this really just again, is broker's personal experience, you know, so this is based around just where I came up and and what I've spent a lot of time. But the three areas that I focus mainly on are manufacturing, uh, because I spent a lot of time in manufacturing. So specifically in that, 
you know, value chains, people looking at expanding, you know, their reach up and down their vertical, um, you know, picking up different steps along the way. Uh, I really like the, the online business space. So, uh, drop shipping, FBA, things like that. Uh, and then restaurants are the third. So those, Man, those are probably, go ahead. Uh, those FBA, those, uh, drop shipping businesses, they're going for crazy amounts right now. Uh, I had, I have a friend who that's what he does. He buys them, sells them. He, I mean, to the point, I think he's got $60 million worth of FBA, you know, revenue in his portfolio. And uh, when he goes, he's having a hard time buying anymore because like they're wanting, you know, 10, 12, you know, 14 times revenue. And he just doesn't want to wait that long to get his money back. He's never had to pay that much for him. But it's kind of insane. It's almost as hot as the software as a service business. Yeah. And, you know, part of the value in those is really part of the challenge in traditional businesses, right? When those are set up, you know, oftentimes they're set up to be very low maintenance, you know, so either the owner is not involved or the owner is involved very little. So when, as on the buyer side, it's so easy for you to see the value and the return and to see how it fits into your system. So all of the challenges that you have in a mom and pop type operation, you know, from when you're looking to exit and the buyer side, you know, are almost prepackaged in these FBA businesses. So I really think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing, you know, those become so popular and obviously they're location independent, you know, things like that. They, they add a lot of other kind of peripheral values, but, you know, they are really set up for entrepreneurs and investors uh, just in their structure by default. Cool. So um, I always like to ask if we have asked some decent questions here. I know I, you know, I've hit a couple topics and stuff. Uh, what questions should I be asking you? I mean, you're the business broker, you're a serial entrepreneur, you own franchises. You know, what should we be talking about inside of acquisitions and mergers, buying and selling businesses? What I'm most interested in, you know, on the side thing outside of the granular, you know, is where is the world going and what does that look like? You know, as we, uh, continue to be more location independent, you know, as, as COVID doesn't return people to the office, um, you know, as we change administrations, not get to get into political stuff, but, um, you know, where, are, where is industry going? You know, where is manufacturing going? Where, you know, is the thought leaders going? You know, what's this look like? Who's winning? Um, how are they winning? That's what I spend a lot of time just studying and keeping an eye on, um, you know, and then inside of that, how we can help people really get to the next level and, and reach their goals. Awesome. So um, is there any piece of advice you would consider most important if somebody's starting to look at, like, I think I want to sell this, like how far back should people plan? I know what I'm thinking, the word that answer is, but how far back do you believe that a business owner should start planning for the exit? And what are some of the things they should probably do to prepare for meeting you or a guy like me? Yeah. Um, so certainly, you know, we look back, we like to look back at three years tax returns. That's the cut and dry answer. So really evaluating those from that structure standpoint, but really looking at, again, are you running this as a, you know, we use mom and pop as a, right, as a bucket 
descriptor, but you know, are you running it like that or are you running it like a corporation? So a couple of things that I like to really have people look at is, you know, keep an eye on your finances. What's that look like? How linked are you personally to what's going on uh, in the business? And, and from the aspect of if you're not there, can a CEO sit there? Can a COO sit there? You know, can that change be really obvious or do you run everything through your personal credit card and, you know, you're just completely intertwined? So is there a separation there between you and the business? Uh, two is succession planning, right? So if you're going to exit, you know, are people ready uh, for you to be out of that seat and somebody to come into that seat that doesn't really know or has a learning curve, you know, do you have, do you have those people in place that are going to not just be able to maintain it, but to be able to grow the business? Because that's what, you know, the next buyer is going to, to be looking for. So work on your succession planning. You know, are you ready or again, are you somebody that keeps everything really close to the vest? Because that just makes for a tough sale. Um, you know, and third, if you have staff, you know, if you have five, 10, 50 people, you know, start to prep them. That goes massively overlooked. And, it, and it's one of the biggest things uh, that can really make a transition difficult. Um, you know, especially again, if it is a family type business or an owner that's been there for a really long time, you know, they feel like they're part of the family. So if that person exits, you know, you're going to feel like you lost a family member. So, you know, the owner, the broker, you may spend a lot of time, you know, hammering down on financials and revenue and ROI and ad backs. But, you know, there's 50 people here that just feel like they lost their favorite uncle or their favorite dad or, you know, something like that. And, you know, there's, there's, Oftentimes, that part is just massively overlooked in the transition. So I've really spent some time, you know, thinking about that. And that may mean that you start talking about it. You know, you may start planning it. Again, each company is different. Each culture is different. You know, so each person has to answer this for themselves. But, you know, whatever that looks like to prepare your staff and to prepare that business, you know, whether it means, hey, I'm going to have a retirement party or I'm going to retire in three years or, you know, hey, everybody, we're starting to look at this, you know, so that that isn't a shock. Um, that that will just make it easier for you, for them, for the new buyer, um, everybody involved. So what I'm hearing is three years if you're really planning on doing this, three years, you're gonna, we're going to look back three years. I look for three years trailing financials also. Mm-hmm. So at a minimum, I think people should prepare. I mean, I honestly think people should run their business as if it's for sale. But the, you know, if you're thinking about retiring in the next five to ten years, you know, or whatever, I honestly think if you're thinking about retiring next year, you're you're a year behind. You, you really should, like the three year mark is when I look at start doing your taxes to. Um, you know, show the financial strength of your company instead of trying to write every single thing off, right? Start grooming the team, the management to be your replacement and even take vacations, do what it takes, like go away for a couple of weeks, come back and see what's left undone, train. So you're grooming the next generation of, you know, of leadership inside of the company. And the piece that I, I didn't realize, and, and you brought a very keen point, I, I guess it's your HR background because you've probably seen this happen a few times, right? Is... How do you know starting the discussion with the team? And I think there's a myth out there. Like a lot of times, there's all these NDA sign and this hush hush. I have to go look at a business under the guise that I'm an insurance adjuster or whatever story they tell people. Like I've been about just about everything, right? Uh, showing up at a business site 
Uh, yep. Never, never the acquiring, you know, a uh, new owner. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a myth around that too, that, you know, if they tell everybody it's for sale, people will run scared and leave. Um, I think if that's handled right, or if they have somebody like you or somebody to work with them on that language, on that communication, it makes it a lot easier when a guy like myself brings in a team uh, to, you know, take over a business that we had acquired. It, it does. And like you said, that is the myth, right? Everybody's going to run away. But, you know, really what we see when it's done well is, you know, if you have employees that have been with you 15, 20 years, they really want you, like they want you to be able to retire well. You know, they want the business to be able to transition well. So they, you know, they will be your best allies, you know, if you can get to the point where you're handling it well, you know, and, and that is, you know, you think, oh, everybody's going to going to run um, for sure. But, you know, really it's, the opposite if you can do it they do have your best interests in mind you know as the current owner that they've worked for for 30 years you know they do you know their their identity oftentimes is linked to the business you know they very much want that to be successful for years to come um you know and and they will they're going to be what makes it successful through that transition awesome so we're, we're running uh, to the end of the time we have available. So how would you like people to reach out and contact you? Um, Josh, you own, it's the Murphy's, right? You own the, uh, what's the official name? It's Murphy's. Um, yeah. Murphy business brokerage. Murphy business brokerage. Okay. Yep. I've seen some titles where they talk about something else inside of the financial or something like that, but Murphy. So you own the local, the Tulsa franchise of the Mur- Murphy's business brokerage. If somebody wants to talk to you about, you know, take a look at their business or, or just ask you questions in general, how would you want them to reach out to you? Yeah. And, and I can send this to you to add, but my email is just J dot clock P L O C H at Murphy com. Cool. And then I, I have your LinkedIn. Is that okay if people see your LinkedIn thing? It is. All right. So I'm going to put that up there real quick and make sure I didn't mess that up. But that's what it said on LinkedIn when I went and visited you. Looks there. right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, underneath me, but that's his. Uh, mine, <laughs> mine was up there earlier. Uh, for those of you guys that are on the podcast listening, it's just go simply go to LinkedIn and uh, search for J-O-S-H-P-L-O-C-H. And uh, – that's how you're going to find him on there. He, uh, and uh, you'll see he does all kinds of stuff. You speak at HR events and everything else. So um, do you have any final words of wisdom or something we should uh, know about you or your brokerage or anything like that before we go? No, uh, just, you know, it, everything is possible. You know, there are plenty of options out there. So don't listen to anybody that says one thing can't happen or another thing can't happen. Um, you know, one foot in front of the other and, we want everybody to be successful. So step one is call you. Step two is you'll find out what's possible for them, right? Exactly. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show today, and uh, uh, we appreciate it, man. We really do. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Today's show is brought to you by the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E. 
pm.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.